November 22nd, 1963. President John F. Kennedy was traveling in a motorcade through DeLay, Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas. Three gunshots rang out, and President Kennedy slumped over in the car he was riding in. He died after having been shot in the head. The shooter, one Lee Harvey Oswald, had been arrested about 45 minutes after the shooting, but not for shooting Kennedy, but rather for killing J.D. Tippett, a police officer in Dallas whose life was taken about 45 minutes after Kennedy was shot. So, here is a man who is identified as the killer of two men, one a police officer and the other the President of the United States of America. What punishment do you think Lee Harvey Oswald got? How much time do you think he did? Or maybe he got the electric chair. Surely his punishment from the legal system would be severe, right? Actually, Oswald's time in the penal system equaled two days. Two days. Why so short a time? Because two days after assassinating the President of the United States and shooting a police officer, Lee Harvey Oswald was shot and killed by Jack Ruby, a Dallas nightclub owner. Now dead, Lee Harvey Oswald would not be punished by the law that promises justice and that blindly. The worst of criminals can't be held accountable to the law, guilty or not, if they're dead. Such was the case for Lee Harvey Oswald and as odd as it may be to say, gloriously, such is the case for the child of God. Let's look at our passage for today. We're in Romans chapter 7, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let me pray. God, I trust the power of Your Word. I trust the power of Your Spirit. And I trust the work that You want to do in Your people. And I do it all because of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, glorification of Jesus Christ. Have Your way. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. As by way of review, we are almost 
almost smack dab in the middle of the book of Romans. Almost. We come today to chapter 7, which that means a whole lot. It means a whole lot. And I hope that I hope that as we work our way through chapter 7 and as we jump into chapter 8 in a few weeks, that you would just be ready for what's coming. But we have seen already in chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, sin, the need for being right with God. Everybody's born a sinner. And I hope that you don't bore of this ad infinitum repeating of where we've been because it's so important. Everybody is born a sinner. You, me, everybody. Everybody. I'm jumping in. Anybody see the Blues Brothers? Sorry. That's a different story. <clears throat> anyway, everybody. Everybody. Um, <clears throat> everybody's born a sinner. Everybody needs to be made right with God. There's only one way to be made right with God. That's point two, justification by faith. The means for being right with God. There is only one way to be made right with God, and that is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are justified by grace through faith. And there is no other way to heaven. I don't care what the culture tells you today. I don't care what good people, talking heads are telling you on TV. There is only one way to be right with God, and that is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you are justified by faith, you get blessings. Point three, blessings are the results of being right with God, and that will take us through the end of chapter 8. And we're like I said, we're right in the middle of that today. We have seen on our journey, Asian Station, expiation, God taking the guilt of our sin from us, propitiation, God putting the guilt of our sin on Jesus and punishing Him instead of us for our sins. Imputation is God giving us the righteousness of Christ, the perfect obedience of Christ, so that we are justified, which is justification, having the right to stand in God's presence. After we are justified, we begin the process of sanctification. And at the end of sanctification, I think we, that was last week, we saw the end game of sanctification is eternal life, which is our ultimate salvation. Before the foundation of the world, we were saved. We got saved. We are being saved. And one day we will be finally, completely saved. Asian Station. I hope that's drilled in your head. We saw the importance of the truth of our union with Christ. We have been crucified with Him. We have been and we will be raised with Him so that we can walk in newness of life now. And for, no, again, I hate to call them steps. It's four necessities that come from this. We have to know it. We have to believe it. We have to reckon it or consider it into our account. And then we do it. We don't just do it. Christians don't just do it. we got to know it. we got to believe it. we got to reckon it. And then we can do it. Which brings us to where we are today. Chapter 7. We are going to start in verse 1. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to read the first three verses together. Two paragraphs make up this passage. Verses 1 through 3 and verses 4 through 6. We're going to take 1 through 3 together, 4 through 6 together, so that we might be able to kind of grasp what's going on. <clears throat> and we're going to spend at least two weeks in this passage, this week and another week at least. It may go to three. This thing is just loaded. And I, I don't want to hurry over it. 
I don't want to slog through it either. We'll do at least one more message in 7, 1 through 6 today, and at least at least one more. But today we'll get a good overview and try to understand how this whole passage applies to us today, especially in light of it being Resurrection Sunday. So let's look at the first paragraph, uh, verses 1 through 3. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, Paul is using this picture to help build a foundation for where he's going to take us in our relationship to the law. Now, what's the picture that he's using? What's the picture? A marriage. Absolutely. He's using a marriage to to paint a picture for us to our relationship to the law. And what does he say? He says that the law is binding on a person how long? Go back. Only as long as he lives. Right? Lee Harvey Oswald. Right? Could he be punished for his crimes after he was dead? No, he could not. But Paul takes it and puts it in the marriage relationship. Anybody in here married? A couple of you. Anybody remember their vows? They probably included a phrase similar to till blank do us part. Till I kill them, do us part. (laughs) Till murder, do us part. (laughs) Till what, do us part? Till death, do us part. So I'll love, cherish, honor, obey, do the dishes, put my towel in the hamper, Pick my socks up out of the floor, guys, etc. Till death do us part. I've just started wars in here. He picks up his socks. I don't. I really don't. (laughs) We better move on. Verse 2. Verse 2 says that a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, what happens? She's released from the law of marriage. Is she to continue to live with him? To be bound to him if he dies? That's called necrophilia, children, and that's illegal and gross, okay? Yuck. Anybody want to live with a dead person? No, you don't want to, and you shouldn't, and you won't. Because when somebody's dead, your relationship... Ends. Now, if, well, let's not get too far ahead. If her husband dies, what happens? She's released from the law of marriage. The one who had been two that had become one is one again. And she's released from the law of marriage. Now, verse 3 says if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, what is the outcome? 
she will be called an adulteress. Why? Because she's bound to her husband by the law of marriage, and the law of marriage has implied in it that the man and the woman will will forsake all others and pledge themselves to each other till death parts them. If there is an intimate relationship with another man for the woman or with another woman for the man, that is called adultery. Both relationally and legally, one member of the marriage covenant has gone outside of the relationship and as such, they are guilty of adultery. As long as her husband is alive, she is bound to him. Some of you are going, daggone it. Yeah, I forgot that. (laughs) Bound to him. Now, let me put in a parenthetical statement here about marriage and this passage. This passage is not meant to be a full-on teaching about marriage. Okay, It can be referenced in some things, but this is not where you should go in the Bible to talk about the marriage relationship. Let me tell you why. Marriage in this passage is serving as an illustration to show our relationship to the law. That's the point of this passage. And context really, really, really matters when you're studying Scripture. This passage is not misogynistic or prescriptive to tell a woman to stay in a relationship until she dies no matter what. That's a different topic dealt with more completely in other parts of Scripture for another day. Don't read this passage as negative or oppressive to women. That's not the point because it could be taken that way. She's got to stay with her husband till he, till he dies or she dies. She's got to stay. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is an illustration. Okay, parenthesis over. <clears throat> so, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's what? Free from what? Free from that law, the law of marriage. Let that sink in for a second. She's free from that law. And if she marries another man, is she wrong or guilty? No. She's free from the law of marriage to her dead husband, and she is not an adulteress. Now that's pretty straightforward, right? That doesn't take a whole lot of explanation. Okay, so what then? What in the world do widows and dead guys have to do with anything? What does this have to do with anything we've been talking about in Romans to this point? Now let me refer back to, and I, don't, I didn't put it up here, but in Romans 6.15, Paul asked the question, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he says, by no means. These six verses that we're looking at today are an illustration that shows how we relate to the law and why we're not under law anymore. So, after giving us the visual of the marriage, he explains how it all shakes out in our lives. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I'm going to go back to four there. Why are we not under law? Getting back to Paul's question in 6.15. Should we continue to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Why are we not under law? 
What did dead husbands have to do with it? Well, in the first three verses, Paul spoke of a marriage where a woman was released from the marriage law because her husband had died. Now, that woman was free to marry another man. Now, in verses 4 through 6, our relationship to the law is described in the same way. Verse 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So, we were yoked together to the law by birth. When you were born, the law was binding upon you. You were under law when you were born. Because you were a sinner. We saw that in our review. Everybody's born a sinner. Actually, everybody's conceived a sinner. The human seed is polluted with sin. Imputation. We were, through one man's act of disobedience, the all became sinners. From Adam until Jesus. Jesus was not a sinner. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that seed was not corrupted. Other than Him, everybody, everybody is yoked together to the law by birth. We were actually under the authority of the law. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But something happened, and let me just say too, quickly, you're saying, what law are you talking about? That's part of what we'll talk about in our next uh, messages on this passage. There's a lot in the thought pattern of what is the law. Was it just the written law that Moses got? Is it the moral law of God? We'll talk about that some. Let's just say today that the law that we're referring to today is God's righteous requirements. Okay? And when you were born, those righteous requirements condemned you because you were born a sinner. You were born as a transgressor of the law. That puts you under law. But something happened to get us out from under the authority of the law. And what was it that happened? What happened to the woman who was married to get her out from under that law? Her husband died. So something happened here. A death happened. Whose death happened? And here's a really pivotal part of this passage. And I didn't just want to alliterate that pivotal part of this passage. But it's fun to say, this is a pivotal part of the passage. And I'll stop now. A death happened. Whose death happened? You also have died. So whose death happened? My death happened. Our death. In our being joined with Christ, in our union with Him that we talked about just a minute ago, listen, His death was our death. And since we died with Him, since we were there when they crucified our Lord, our death did what? Our death freed us from the law. The law was binding as long as we were alive. But when we died, the law lost its power over us. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. I want you to hear me say this as plain as I can say it. That's not an analogy. This is not a fancy. 
It is a historical truth. This past Friday was Good Friday. And I saw it different this year than I've ever seen it in my life because not only did I realize fully that Jesus died on Good Friday, but so did I. I died Friday almost 2,000 years ago because I was with Christ when He was crucified and His death was my death. A historical truth. Chapters 5 and 6 of Romans went to great lengths to establish the, the, to establish the truth of our union with Christ. It is a reality. We have to know it. We have to believe it. We have to reckon it. And then we can start to live it out, which is doing it. Living out the truth that we did die with Christ. In chapter 6, the death freed us from the power of sin. Here in chapter 7, our death with Jesus frees us from the law. And again, we'll see what that means in our application. But for now, just know that Paul is saying that our death with Christ ended our union with, ended our relationship to the law. So that we may belong to another. And who is that? To Him who has been raised from the dead. You died so that you could be free from your marriage to the law, your union with the law. When you died, you didn't just die, but you came into a new relationship. You were wed to another. And the one that you were wed to is the one who was raised from the dead. Who is that? Sunday school question. What's the answer to every Sunday school question? Jesus. Okay? So that you may belong to another. Who do we belong to? We belong to Jesus. To keep with the analogy from the first three verses, our death resulted in the end of our relationship with the law so that we could belong to, so that we could be married to Jesus. Does not the Bible say that the church is the bride of Christ? Yes. Yes, it does. So, we died to the law and we were made one with Jesus. Legally, justly and rightly. That's why there had to be a death. That's why we had to die so that we could be joined to another. Verse 5 points this out and gives us a clearer picture as to why. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now keep in mind too, Paul is still referencing should we continue to sin since we're not under law but under grace. This is probably where we'll spend most of our time in the next message on this passage. But for now, let's just get the gist of what's being said. For while we were living in the flesh refers to when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were unsaved, when we were unbelievers, we had sinful passions. And I know you're sitting here probably going, but I'm a believer now and I still have sinful passions. We'll get to that. It's who we were naturally by birth. And what's worse, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. 
the law actually stirred up, actually made us more aware of our sinful passions. What's the best way to make somebody want to do something? Tell them not to do it, right? Don't you dare turn and look at the person behind you. Why not? I mean, seriously. Anybody got kids in this room? No? Aaron's got kids? Let me tell you what. I got a two-year-old who is wearing me out right now. Don't do that. Directly going to do it. Don't do that. Why? But, 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 but. The best way to get somebody to do something is telling them, don't you dare. Don't you dare sit down in that chair. And they're going, why should I not sit down in that chair? Why should I not go play in traffic? Why should I not get too close to the fence where the dog that bites people is? Tell me why. That's stupid. That's what the law does to our sinful passions. The law points it out and says, don't do that. And we're going, but why? But why? Now, I really, now I really want to do it. That's what the law does to us and to our sinful passions. It arouses them. The law actually stirred up and made us more aware of our sinful passions. You know what I'm talking about. Now the rest of chapter 7, we'll talk about what this looks like and how it works. But here, the picture is that the law actually serves to make us want to be more sinful. The law actually makes us do more sin. And those sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members. Remember Andrew's message? We're supposed to present our members not as instruments to sin, but as instruments to righteousness. So what the law was doing, the law was making my hands want to do things I shouldn't do. The law was making my eyes want to look at things I shouldn't look at. And what was the result? We bore fruit in that. But fruit for what? We bore fruit for death. Remember Romans 6.23 last week? The wages of sin is death. You work for sin, you get paid in death. Plain and simple. And that's how we're all born naturally. And the law actually makes it worse. The fruit, the wages of sin is death. That's pretty straightforward. Sin brings about death. So while we were unbelievers, the law stirred up our sinful passions and we sinned, leading to sin's ultimate outcome, which is death. So, why did we have to die to the law? Because it aroused our sinful passions and brought about death. So, in Christ we have died to the law. Then what? But now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now this is a pretty great outcome statement. But now we are released from the law. Having seen that the law in our unregenerate lives stirred up our sinful passions, it's good to know that we've been released from the law. Now keep in mind sin and law being so tightly together. 
been bound up together, sin and the law. So why do we have to die to the law? So that we wouldn't be aroused to sin, because that's what the law was doing. Having died to that which held us captive, like Lee Harvey Oswald, not being affected by the penal system because he died before being sentenced. In the same way, we died to the effects of the law, we died to the authority of the law, so that that law could not affect us anymore. The law held us captive, but we died so that it can't hold us anymore. And what is the outcome of that? So that we serve. After dying to the law, when we died in Christ, since we were in union with Him. Having died, what do we do? We serve. Now how does that work? How can we serve if we died. And this is the best news of all of the six verses. There's a new way now to serve. The new way of the Spirit, capital S Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Under the law, there was a written code, words written down that told you what you were supposed to do and what you were not supposed to do. But what help was the law in enabling you to keep its commandments? None. It actually made it worse. It made it harder to do what you were supposed to do because now you got this thing saying, don't do this. And you're like, but I really want to do it because you told me not to do it. The law just sat there and said, do this, don't do this. And made you want to do what you shouldn't do even more than you did before you knew there was a law. It aroused our sinful passions. So it was no help at all, but actually a hindrance in making us holy. But now, we serve in the new way of the Spirit. What that means is, instead of having an external code that harmed us, we have the very Spirit of God Himself within us, enabling us to do what we could not do, enabling us to keep His commands which are not burdensome. Actually, Jesus said on the night before His crucifixion, and this is found in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, This is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Paul would later say in Galatians, Chapter 5, verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how can we fulfill the law? By loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. No written code no do's and don'ts can enable you to do that. Only the Spirit of God Himself can do that in and through you. So, now we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And that's really, really good news. Now we can trust in and lean on God to do what He requires us to do. Now we can trust in and lean on God to do what He requires of us. We can look to the perfection of Christ and know that, first and foremost, that is how God sees us 
with the very righteousness of Christ, but also that is our ultimate destination, the perfection of Christ, both geographically with Him and behaviorally. As a reminder of that, we bring this verse up a lot. And I am sure of this, Paul said, that He, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's what sanctification is all about. Anybody see that poor guy trying to get up the escalator the other day on Facebook? Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes it's hard and we're rolling back. But listen, He will bring it to completion. You will get to the top of that escalator. It might hurt. You might come limping in. But here's the truth. Listen to me. Listen to me, Christian. You're going to get there. Plain and simple. It's not a matter of somebody started this race and fell down and didn't finish. Listen, that's not going to happen. If you are a believer, if you have trusted Christ for your salvation, He will bring it to completion. That takes a lot of pressure off. Because it's Him that's doing it. Yes, I have to agree with Him. Yes, it would be much better if I just stood still on the sanctification escalator and took the ride up. I could pull a buddy the elf thing and you do this thing. And sometimes... Anybody scared of escalators? It's a little creepy. That weird light coming... What's under... What? Why do they need a light under there? I mean, really, is there somebody under there? Yeah. The point is, He's going to get us there, church. He is going to get us there. You can kick and scream all you want. It's a much better ride if you just trust in His power to do what you cannot do. And that's exactly what it means by serving in the new way of the Spirit. God is making us more and more like Jesus, and He will not stop until He finishes what He started. That's the very purpose, the very essence of sanctification. God shaping and fashioning us into the image of Christ while keeping in mind all the time that He sees in us now the perfection of Christ already. That's fantastic news. Which means that ultimately the outcome of our justification is a complete, holy, H-O-L-Y, perfectly obedient and rightly affectionate Christian when we stand before God face to face. That is the path you are on if you are a believer. And we rest on God's ability to make it happen so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. And that's pretty good news. Now, what I want to do is button everything up and carry out with us. So what's all this mean to me, what's in this for me, as far as application of these truths. First, and let me count them, I think there's only three. There are only three. First, and most plainly from this passage, the truth is that we are dead to the law. We didn't fully expound on this today, And we will delve further into it in the coming weeks. But at this point, let's just say that that means we are free to be in union with another husband. We are free to be under another authority. 
And that husband, that authority is Jesus Christ Himself. That means that the law now no longer has the power to arouse in you sinful passions. The law can't do that anymore. Instead of dreading what the law has to say and feeling powerless to walk in its commands, we are free to walk in newness of life in and by the Holy Spirit of God, not wallowing in self-pity and helpless condemnation. We look not at the outward law that condemns us, but inward to the very Spirit of God who empowers us to live and to love like He lives and like He loves. And that is magnificent. And listen, listen, Christian, know it, believe it, reckon it into your account, and then do it. Look at God's ability through the Holy Spirit in you to keep His commands. Stop looking at the external law, the the righteousness that we try to make for ourselves. It will never work. It leads to self-condemnation. It leads to doubt about your salvation, your justification. And it makes you not even want to get on the escalator of sanctification. There's a new way. There is a new way, a new and living way, the book of Hebrews would say. So that's the first one. We are dead to the law. Second, We've seen in the past weeks that we are in union with Jesus. Now, I want you to really think about this. The, the great truth, the, that great truth, the truth of our union with Jesus is maybe, I'd say probably, and let me just say it, I'm sure, and this is a big statement, I'm sure that the great truth of our union with Jesus Christ is the single most important truth for a Christian to know. Like I said, that's a big statement, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to make it. Our union with Jesus is the single most important truth for a Christian to know. We've been made one with Christ, and that's staggeringly amazing. What we saw today reinforces that by declaring that when we died with Christ, we died to the law. But for what purpose? so that we may belong to another. And that another has a capital A. You see what that means? We are one with Christ, church, church, because He is our husband. We, church, are the bride of Christ. Now that may feel a little awkward for the men in here. But the church is consistently referred to as Jesus' bride in the New Testament. It says that marriage is a picture of what? Of Christ and the church. And the man is to love the wife as Christ loved the church, and the woman is to love the husband as the church submits to Christ. How many marriage problems will be solved if we just lived in that truth, by the way? We mentioned that in brief earlier, but I think it's worth restating and then letting it soak in. As a Christian, you are a member of the church, and that church is the beloved bride of the Son of God. He came for the very purpose of purchasing a bride for Himself. And He, in His all-knowing love and power, saw us, saw the church, and said, I want her. Jesus Christ, in His omniscience and knowing everything, looked at the church before she was ever a reality, and He said, I love her. 
and I will lay down my life for her. I will purchase her with my very blood. I will die for her. And I will go prepare a place for her so that I might come back and carry her to that place that I might be with her forever. That is the love that Jesus Christ has for His bride. And that is us. If, if we are believers. And that's the point of the cross where Jesus bore the punishment that was due to this harlot who would, in her own strength, prostitute herself with the world and the things of the world. He bore our sins on the cross so that we could die with Him and be freed from sin and the law through His death. That defies logic. And there are no words that could adequately express that truth. We're dead to the law. We are the bride of Christ. We are one with Him. And finally, (laughs) oh, finally, it wasn't just death that we shared with Jesus as His bride. Yes, we died with Him on the cross, but guess what? He didn't stay dead. And neither did we. I want you to hear, Christian, the truth of the Word of God. Verse 4, chapter 7, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And then verse 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. John Piper says Romans 7.4 and Romans 7.6 are the two most important verses about Christian living in the entire New Testament. And I believe I agree with him. What does that mean? What does all that mean? We belong to Him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. And now we serve in the new way of the living spirit and not in the old way of the dead written code. The secret, the power source, the very essence of the Christian life is found in one word, and it's resurrection. You want to know how to walk in newness of life? Resurrection. You want to know how to overcome sin in your life? Resurrection. You want to know how to find perfect joy and peace and obedience in your life? It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because body of Christ, because church of Christ, because Christian, you were joined with Him in His death and you were also joined with Him in His resurrection that you may walk in newness of life. You have been resurrected with Christ. I have been resurrected with Christ. And I'm now dead to the law. I'm now dead to sin so that I might be joined to Christ and share His life. And the two shall become one flesh. 
Muhammad, he died. He's still dead. Buddha died. Still dead. Krishna died. Still dead. You said, wait a minute, but there are some people who believe in reincarnation. You know where they are? They're dead. They died and they're still dead. Atheists that don't believe there's a God, they die and they stay dead. Jesus died and rose again. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus died and He rose again. Several years ago, I was having a discussion with somebody very close to me, somebody that I love. And they asked me, how do you know you're right about this whole Christianity thing? And I said, resurrection. I said, you, pro- you provide for me the body of Jesus, show me that He's still dead, and I'll stop believing it. Produce a body, the body of Jesus, and I'll stop believing it today. Paul told the Corinthians, if we trust in Christ in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. If there's no resurrection from the dead, we are fools. But there is a resurrection. There was a resurrection. And I was there. Jesus came out of that tomb and I walked out with Him because I am one with Him. Get a hold of this. What does it mean? Listen to this. And we're going to get here sometime. I don't know when we'll get here. Romans 8, 9-11. You, however, Christian, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now get ready. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The very life of the Christian is based on the fact that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to what? Your mortal bodies bodies. How? Through His Spirit. Who is where? Where is that Spirit? Who dwells in you. In you. We are in Christ and Christ is in us and we are one with Him, wed to Him, empowered by Him to give and to bring glory to Him. Oh Christian, marvel at the resurrection power of God which is found in you. In you. It's great to look back at an empty tomb and say, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, there is resurrection. It's a completely different thing to say, 
that resurrection power, the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in me now. That changes everything. Everything. Jesus wasn't brought back to life just so He could go sit in heaven and say, okay, I beat death, what's next? He was brought back to life so that He could live in and through you, church. So that He could live in and through us who now share in the same resurrection power that brought Him out of the tomb. We are dead to sin. We are dead to the law. We are united with Christ as His bride. And we now live in and by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. We died with Him so that we could belong to Him. And then we were resurrected and given to Christ as His treasure so that He might be our treasure. Both in eternity and in the here and now. Bask, soak, and revel in your union with Him, in His death, in His burial, and yes, in His resurrection. And what does Ephesians say? Ephesians say that He was caused to be made the head over all things, and now His place is here in the church. Gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills all and is all. We have a really tiny picture of Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you this morning, church, to see the immensity of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ for you today. We are dead to the law. We are wed to Jesus. And the very resurrection power of Christ abides in us. Sharing in His death, wed to Him, and now walking, and now walking in His resurrection power. This is not hyperbole. This is the best news in the universe. The God of the universe has set His affection upon the church of Jesus Christ. And He now lives in us and through us. Raised to new life. So that we may walk in newness of life in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Help us to see today that You have done what needed to be done in order to give us new life.
you have given us resurrection power. You have given us the very righteousness of Christ. You have done for us what we could not do ourselves. And on that Good Friday, when Jesus said it is finished, our redemption was purchased. And when He came out of that tomb on Resurrection Sunday, we came out with Him. Justified. on the path of sanctification so that you can get glory in and through our lives. God, would you help us to walk in that resurrection power today? Would you help us to know the truth of your power that is perfected in our weakness Though the law would condemn us, though the law would arouse sinful passions in us, your Holy Spirit now dwells in us so that we might walk in newness of life. May we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today and every day. To your glory and for our good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing as we finish? Can I get a song page turner back there? Singing, oh, death. Sting, oh hell, where is your victory? Oh church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Singing, oh death, where is your sting? stand in the light our God is not dead he's alive he's alive let no one cause and sin remain inside the lie of inward shame let no one caught in sin remain Inside the lie of inward shame But fix your eyes upon the cross And run to Him who showed great love And bled for us Freely you bled for us Christ is risen Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come.
come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Beneath the weight of all of our sin, beneath the weight of all our sin, you bow to none but heaven's will. No scheme of hell, no scoffer's crown, no burden great can hold you down in strength. You reign forever. Let your church proclaim Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come awake. Rise up from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Singing, oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from Christ is risen. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Singing, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, 
come awake come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead we are one with him again come awake come awake come and rise up from the grave and God that is our benediction this wonderful resurrection Sunday Christ is risen from the dead trampling over death by death so church come awake come awake come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead we are one with him again so come awake come awake come and rise up from the grave God may it be so in our lives today and every day through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ who is the risen, reigning, ruling, sovereign over all, and we are one with Him. And we say yes to that. We believe. We know it. We believe it. May we reckon it to our accounts and may we do it, God. Thank You for resurrection. Thank You for a new way in the Spirit. Thank You for our oneness, our union with Jesus. We give You glory, honor, and praise in His name. And all the church said, Amen. Have a great day.